Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Koto tato au huri huri tenei. He hotaka e pana ki te putai au, te tai au me te kaupapa o te ora. You're with our changing world on Radio New Zealand National. And now... Currents move all sorts of material around the world's oceans, including large amounts of plastic. And as Alison finds out, plastic pollution is having a growing impact on many species of seabirds. New Zealand is well known for being the world's seabird capital, with 10% of all seabirds on the planet breeding here. What's less well known is the enormous threat that plastic rubbish poses to them, a point made in a new study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Lead researcher Dr Chris Wilcox from CSIRO in Australia says the study's key findings are summarised in the paper's title Threat of Plastic Pollution to Seabirds is Global, Pervasive and Increasing. When we analyse all the data we find essentially plastic is in the majority of the world's seabirds whether you think of that by individuals or by species, and that appears to be growing. Worldwide, plastic production has been doubling every 11 years. In places, the amount of plastic pollution has reached more than half a million pieces per square kilometre of ocean. Plastic debris concentrates in five large tropical ocean gyres, such as the well-known Pacific Garbage Patch. But surprisingly, the study has found that the highest risk to seabirds from plastics actually occurs in the Southern Ocean. We found the most birds affected along a band at the edge of the Southern Ocean. So in the bottom of the Atlantic, the bottom of the Pacific, and uh, the bottom of the Indian. And really, in a way, that pattern is driven by the fact that although there's lots of plastic in the garbage patches, there aren't that many species there. So if you look at birds, the highest bird species richness or number of species is in the Southern Ocean. And so essentially where that high bird diversity meets the edge of the high concentrations of plastic, we find the biggest impact. Was there a single place where you thought the impact was going to be biggest in future? Essentially the Southern Tasman Sea between New Zealand and Australia turned out to have the highest predicted number of species affected. It's a place where plastic distributions and bird distributions overlap a lot. But the other part of it is the birds that occur in that area are particularly prone to eating plastic. So those are shearwaters and other aligned species. The study has come up with some quite alarming figures. We found that uh, about 90% of the birds would be predicted to have plastic in them. Because there's this increasing trend from 10 20% in the 60s to very high levels now. Essentially, by the year 2050, we, we predict that more or less all seabirds would have plastic in their guts. Karen Beard is seabird advocate for Forest and Bird and BirdLife International and the regional coordinator for BirdLife International's marine program for Oceania. I think what was a surprise was the fact that the risk is really related to seabird density and occurrence rather than necessarily to 
high densities of plastics so that the fact that the Tasman Sea came out as a really high risk area is a great concern for us, particularly as a number of our seabirds actually feed in the Tasman Sea, species like uh, Gibsons and white-capped albatross, flesh-footed shearwater. So, yeah, definitely some alarm bells there. Dr Graham Elliott from the Department of Conservation has been studying wandering albatrosses on New Zealand's subantarctic islands for more than 20 years. He says that bits of plastic are a common sight around the birds' nests. For our birds, particularly the Gibson's wandering albatross from the Auckland Islands, that's the main place they go to feed while they're raising their chicks. So they're spending a lot of time in that in the Tasman Sea right there. So there's a high concentration of those birds there. And we know from talking to other seabird scientists that other seabirds go there as well because it's a rich area for feeding. The stuff we see is mostly small, I suppose. So we see in a lot of bottle caps. So they're obviously picking up this stuff at sea and bringing it on shore to feed their chicks along with the squids and fishes that they feed the chicks. As Karen has found from first-hand experience, eating too much plastic can cause a bird's death. I can remember one incident actually a number of years ago finding this uh, moribund penguin actually, which subsequently died on an island out here in the Haraki Gulf and the bird looked pretty healthy to me. So when I um, cut it open because I was curious, I was absolutely horrified to find that its whole intestines were um, full of um, plastic polystyrene balls. So obviously the bird had mistaken that for food and it had a bad result. It was interesting, I had a look through the New Zealand necropsy reports, which are the reports that MPI do, looking at the stomach and gizzard contents of bicorp birds. And sooty shearwater seems to frequently be one bird that has plastic in it. And also, interestingly, white-chin petrel, fairy prion, cape petrel, and of course flesh-footed shearwater. What kind of issues face seabirds when they do eat plastic? There's a few different mechanisms by which the plastic can cause issues for them. The first, and this is somewhat common in seabirds, but even more common in turtles, is it can just physically block the gut. So essentially, we found up to 8% by body weight of plastic in a bird. So just to translate that, that's equivalent to a very large baby in your average size human woman. So we're talking about a lot of plastic. And if you think about it, the plastic is much lower density than the bird's tissues. So if it's 8% by weight, it's much, much larger fraction by volume. So I guess gut blockage is sort of the first issue, you know, physically impairing it. That means the bird can't fit as much food in, the bird feels full, things like that. And then the second part of that is it can tear the bird's gut. A lot of the plastics in the ocean are fairly hard fragments and some of them have sharp edges so they can cause physical damage. And then stepping beyond that, the plastic themselves have uh, things in their constituents that are, they can be toxic. So, you know, BPA is one that people would be familiar with, but essentially the binding agents that make the plastic um, flexible and clear and things like that, many of those are hormone mimics and some are directly toxic. And I guess the last sort of issue that's related to this is because, because plastics are what scientists call hydrophobic, that is, they're oil-based, so they don't, they don't attract water, they bind all the pollutants that they come in contact with as they're drifting through the ocean. So if you sample plastics floating in an industrial port, you'll find lots and lots of pollutants and oil and things like that um, basically adhered to the plastic. 
When a bird swallows that, the pollutants often desorb and get released into the bird's body. So you kind of have two mechanisms of toxicity, one from the plastic itself and the second from things that are stuck on the plastic. So eating plastic is a bad idea if you're a bird, really. The study authors predict that by 2050, plastic ingestion will affect 99% of all seabird species. And they say that producing and using less plastic and having more effective waste management could help reduce this growing threat. At the last uh, Western Central Pacific Fisheries Commission meeting that I attended, there was a paper presented which showed that uh, fishing vessels, um, particularly the incidence of rubbish discarded over, over the side of Persane vessels, and the amount of rubbish that goes over the side was quite alarming. And so if we're looking at ways that we can actually start to ameliorate the effects of, of plastic in the oceans, I think looking at um, you know, what fishing vessels are doing, particularly in the high seas, is something we should be looking at. That's actually a satisfying thing about this problem. Because unlike some of the big global problems like, say, climate change, the solution for this one's pretty easy, really. Almost all that plastic was in someone's custody at one point or another. You know, somebody had the drink bottle or the straw or the fork or whatever it is in their hand. And so it's really just a matter of changing people's behaviors around waste disposal. An encouraging story around this is... Uh, in the North Sea, some colleagues of ours um, looked at uh, plastic pellets, which are like the precursors for manufacturing plastics. And there had been an industry program to take better care of um, the pellets and try to lose less from industrial sites. And that caused a decrease in the pellet concentration in the North Sea, which then was reflected in the pellet concentration in birds. So the whole system responded really quickly to the change in management. And so I guess, you know, turning back to what's the solution for the problem, really it's implementing things like container deposit schemes, getting rid of single-use packaging, improving waste disposal, prosecuting illegal dumping, things like that to, to essentially change the amount of plastic going in the ocean. If we do that, the ocean will respond fairly quickly, and all the species like seabirds that eat plastic will also respond. You heard from Chris Wilcox at CSIRO in Australia. Graham Elliott from the Department of Conservation and Karen Baird from Forest and Bird and BirdLife International. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Kakite anō. Botox Cosmetic, Atabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.